1: Get IXL now, and listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash audio. Visit IXL.com slash audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price.
2: It feels like it goes without saying that Rise Together as a podcast is probably not the thing that you're meant to be listening to while you're with humans that are young. But just in the off chance that you've decided this is the time to bring them into your podcasting life, not this time. Let's not have them be a part of this episode, because I'm going to be really, really honest about things that adults can have a conversation about when we're getting serious about fear. Things like premature ejaculation, the inability to get an erection. Hello. I can't believe I said those things back to back. Uh, Not being able to satisfy your spouse geez we're really getting into all of it so lock the kids in another room pour yourself a glass of wine if that's the thing that's going to make this thing easier because i'm about to get into all of it
3: hi guys i'm rachel hollis and
2: i'm dave hollis
3: and we're married
2: For like 14 years.
3: And together for 16.
2: We have kids.
3: Four kids.
2: Which is like a thousand kids.
3: We've also been foster parents to four kids as well.
2: We're running a business together. We
3: do a lot of things.
2: That is a lot of
3: things. (laughs) But we feel like it's possible, we know it's possible, to have an exceptional relationship regardless of the stresses you have in your life.
2: That's why we decided to do a podcast together.
3: It's called Rise Together.
2: So if you want some tips and tricks on how we kind of get through all
3: the
2: things. This is it. Come on down. Here we go. Hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Rise Together podcast. This is Dave Hollis. I'm happy that you have joined us today. If you're listening to this in real time, you know that we are doing something we call Last 90 Days. Last 90 Days, the attempt for us to finish the last 90 days of the year in as strong a fashion that we might normally start the first 30 of a new year. And the theme of this week's last 90 days is fear. Uh, I mean, it's timed, obviously, because Halloween, if you're listening to this on the first day that it's available was yesterday. Um, but it's uh, a thing that really has acted as a barrier for people getting from where they are to where they want to be Uh, for just the history of time. And so with this themed fear last 90 days conversation, we're going to take it a step further. And I'm going to take you through four areas where men in particular have some fear in relationship, or at the very least, some scary topics that most men in their right mind would not sit on the floor of their master bedroom closet and talk to you openly about the things that men worry about. So the things that we're going to talk about in no particular order are the fear of taking help from other people. I'm going to talk just a little bit about my journey with therapy and personal development. The fear of a vasectomy. Yep, we're going there and what getting snipped might mean to you and your manhood if you were to go down the route of uh, ending your ability to create human beings. Uh, Three, the fear of really being honest about sexual dysfunction. Hello. Uh, And the fourth thing, the fear the feeling that it all depends on me as the man in the relationship. If you are in a relationship between a man and a woman that the man has to do um, the heavier lifting, man, it sounds almost ridiculous to say that out loud because I just don't believe it anymore at all. When it comes to providing for the family, the finances of the family, um, raising the kids and and how that shows up inside of uh, a relationship So let's start with this idea that if you need to take help from other people, that in some way it indicts you for being broken, not enough, not good. Uh, As men, I think we've been raised generation over generation over generation to believe that certain men, or at least like real men, uh, don't need help from other people. or That if they were to get help, that in some way it suggests that they're less than. And I'm here to tell you, if you still believe that, you're wrong. You're just wrong. I challenge your belief in that. I challenge your thinking. And I challenge it because I was a person who believed that and then went out and asked for help and found help from outside sources that really equip me with the tools that I needed to grow in who I was as a person and grow in what I have in a relationship. Before we jump into all the things, let's take a quick break and remind you of one of the many things that the Hollis Company is working on that hopefully gives you some tools to make lasting change in your life. Take a listen.
3: Girl, Wash Your Face has surpassed every expectation I could possibly have had for a book. It has sold almost 2 million copies, if you can even believe that. It's been number one on the New York Times bestseller list for weeks. And for you guys, even more exciting... It is one of the top five audiobooks of the year on Audible. So if you are dying to hear a little bit more of my voice, be sure and check out Girl, Wash Your Face. Available anywhere you get your audiobooks.
2: Okay, we're back. Roll up your sleeves. It's time to get to work. So I want to spend a second on two things. Number one, therapy. Therapy, for me, was a dirty word. It was a thing that had some stigma and some taboo around it. I thought people who needed to go to therapy or that even confessed to needing therapy were, um, were people that would be branded as weak or that were people who uh, would be seen, um, certainly by their peers or by society at large, as, as being broken. And I found myself not too long ago, three years ago, in a funk of funks. We've talked about it on previous podcasts. There's plenty of uh, footage of me talking about the funk. But one of the most important things I did for myself to get me from where I was to where I ended up now uh, was sitting on a couch of an objective third party who did not know me, that did not judge me, that uh, that really had no bias and and had as an interest hearing me process my thoughts in the hopes that there would be an outcome where I had a better handle on who I was and, and what I was and why uh, I was. So I, through uh, a recommendation of a buddy that I trusted, uh, went to therapy for the first time about two and a half, three years ago. And the first time I went, I like put my head down, had my hands in my pockets and like like, did a shame shuffle into the office of just one of the nicest human beings on earth. And I got in and sat on a couch and literally the first thing out of my mouth was, I don't know what to do and I don't think this is going to work. Like I came in not really all that confident that... Therapy was a thing for me, but I would got to a place where I, like I said, it was stuck and I wasn't growing. I wasn't moving forward. And as much as Rachel was an awesome audience, God bless her to, you know, the things I was processing, there were things that I needed to say that I couldn't say to her, even as much as she's my best friend and my partner, that I found Only after I decided to go, uh, I was able and willing to say in front of a therapist. It's not like there were big secrets. It's not like uh, I didn't come back from most sessions and share with Rachel the aha moments that I came to while sitting on this couch of a stranger. But I don't think I would have had them. If we'd been sitting on the couch or in bed or wherever, um, I found them in part because of the dynamic that exists between a therapist and a patient. Oh my goodness, the p-word, patient, um, who decides that they want to, you know, dive deeper and understand better why they're wired the way they are. So I went to see someone every Tuesday night. Debra. Hello, Debra. I I hope Debra's listening because, man, this is the greatest endorsement for therapy in the history of time. Uh, But I went to see Debra every Tuesday night for an hour for the better part of two years. And it took time truly to get in a place where it felt normal to sit in front of a stranger and share your deepest feelings and understand like why when you were a kid, you did the things that you did and how you as a kid, whether it was birth order or how you showed up to try and get love from one of your parents or whatever it might be, was manifesting itself in the you know nearly 40-year-old version of myself because uh, there were so many aha moments that, and I feel like I'm a pretty smart cat. Like I did not appreciate why I did the things I did, and what was motivating the things that I did, and why I reacted the way that I did when certain things triggered me to show up in a certain way.
0: Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's Lifetime Membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today.
2: And over the course of the two years that I was in really regular therapy, I became so much better equipped to handle life as it happened to me that i became an, uh, just a massive advocate for like pushing aside the taboo pushing aside the worry of what people might think and embracing sitting with a professional human being who's there as their job to listen and to ask the right questions that let you as the person sitting on the couch do most of the work i sat on i sat in this room And what was, again, like bizarre at first and then totally normal experience doing 90 percent of the talking. And that to me was the beauty and the magic of therapy. I found myself talking about and diving into things that I didn't even realize I needed to. And I came out of it feeling so good about having a handle on why I did the things that I did that where I first came in a little embarrassed or a little ashamed of needing therapy in the first place it became something that in my job to you know I was working at the Walt Disney company at the time and had a team of hundreds of people every I promise you every single person on my team knew that Tuesday nights I was heading to see my therapist and you know why they knew it because I was so grateful for the work that she was doing and helping me understand who I was That I was proud of it and an advocate for it as a path to getting from where I was, which was stuck, to where I ended up, which was unstuck. So um, guess what? Therapy costs money. So if you are a person who doesn't have the budget to afford therapy, I totally also understand that. There are plenty of other resources that you can use whether it's someone at your church or inside of a group of friends or um, a, lot of, a lot of businesses as a part of the insurance that you have also provide for you. Um, usually, actually, anonymous uh, therapy or counseling that you can access. So um, the bottom line is, whether you're a man or a woman, I really think that therapy is an awesome thing. And it really was so helpful for both Rachel and I in how we grew into who we are. But particularly, if you're a man, And you're worried or have fear around the idea of scratching the surface on why you do the things you do or understanding a little bit better why you feel the things that you do. Number one, you are not a cyborg. Having feelings is totally normal. Please uh, accept that you are normal for wanting or needing to have feelings. And two, if you're stuck or if you're not totally sure of why you do the things that you do, Yep, your spouse may be the very, very best person in the entire universe and totally unequipped to help get out of you what you need to get out of yourself. And that's why a professional exists. I'd encourage you to push past the stigma or the taboo and see someone who might help you in that way. The next one is personal growth. And man, we've talked about personal growth conferences so much that I don't want to beat a dead horse. But I'll just say it again for those in the back of the room who didn't hear this message before. uh, I had my life changed at a conference that I did not want to attend at a conference that I thought was honestly a little bit of like a a huckster, a little bit of a, um, a snake oil salesman, for lack of a better word, and truly I was able to like replicate a little bit of the magic of what happens inside of a therapy session, but over a prolonged period of time in a room of like-minded people that were all interested in figuring out a better version of themselves. And in that environment, it unlocks massively great things for individuals. So if you're a person who's listening to this and you have a, an, an existing opinion of what a personal growth conference is or who people who work inside of the space are like, but you've never, ever been before, I would really, really encourage you to find an opportunity to sit in an audience and have an experience to see if it doesn't challenge the way that you think. Not everybody is going to like one teacher or the other. I happen to have had my first experience in personal development at a Tony Robbins conference, Tony Robbins, it was like transformational in my relationship with Rachel. And Tony Robbins is 100% not for every single person. So I'm not saying that you need to go to, we went to this thing, Unleash the Power Within. I'm not saying that you need to go to that. Even that name makes me not want to go to it. I'm still saying that it was unbelievably impactful in my life for having pushed past the stigma of what it might mean as a man to reach for help from someone Uh, outside of my family or outside of myself, Um, but man, I have grown so much over the course of the last couple of years by committing with Rachel to regularly going to and sitting in an audience of personal development, and uh, if you have not yourself done it, uh, honestly, I think you're missing out. I hope that you will consider the alternative. All right, so that's number one. The fear of taking help from others. Push past it. These people are professionals and they exist to try and unlock, hopefully, the better version of you. The second scary topic in this Halloween-themed fear episode of the Rise Together podcast is a vasectomy. Hello. If you're not familiar with what a vasectomy is, there's, a, there's an opportunity to uh, certainly Google uh, after this podcast is done. But in brief, it's about snipping. Hello. Snipping. Uh, the duct that makes the semen that leaves a man's body not leave a man's body in the way that can actually impregnate the woman that he is having sexual intercourse with. Man, so many big words. Hopefully those kids are just like completely, completely locked away. So Rachel and I had three humans biologically. We had three boys. Rachel, not a humongous fan of being pregnant. Uh, We decided after we were done with our third birth that we were not going to have any more kids biologically, but that if we were going to have kids, we would adopt. And of course, Noah uh, came along and, in, and our adoption story is, uh, you know, uh, p- chronicled in many places, great and, and totally hard, but man, happy ending. Noah's perfect. But when we made the decision to not have any more kids, We had to have a conversation about what that meant from a birth control standpoint, because the rhythm method is not a real option. I'm talking to you. If you are using the rhythm method, you're going to just have more kids. Um, So we had a conversation and I'll be honest, when I first heard about the idea of a vasectomy, I was like, no one is touching me down there. Thank you very much. Like in a way that was connecting the, like, taking away my ability to procreate with my manliness. Like, in some way, there was this, like, ooh, if you snip that, do you also take away some of my ability to have good sex or my ability to have an erection or my ability to? And uh, I we met with a doctor, and he endured my ridiculous line of questioning. And his answers in every case were, Uh, And he didn't say it this way, but like, don't be dumb. Like, no, Uh, we are simply removing uh, your ability to create a baby with Rachel. We are doing nothing to the way that your penis works. So uh, take a breath, handsome. Uh, So when we had that news, yay, we set up the time. And I very strategically set it up for the opening weekend of the NFL season because, as much as it's not a major procedure, it's also not a minor procedure. Someone is actually using a knife near your penis. And when you are finished with the procedure, which takes 3.1 minutes to complete, uh, you do have to rest ice. And, uh, if you're going to rest and ice, you might as well watch the opening weekend of the NFL. Um, as for the procedure itself, if you're a person who's like, I don't know, man, I don't want to put myself in a position where I have to potentially end my life for the ability to not create life, uh, put your put your fears to rest. Uh, it's one of these weird things where a doctor is talking to you while, I'm sorry, but I'm going to get into the detail just to take away any of the uh, mystery, uh, while someone is shaving the area that will be in uh, where they will do the incision. It's an image I didn't expect to ever put out into a podcast, but you're welcome for that. And uh, you are at the same time getting uh, an anesthetic that is going to uh, anesthetic anesthesia. Yeah. Anesthetic. That's going to make you take a quick nap. So we were having a conversation. Everything was great. And then I woke up And I said, when are you going to do the procedure? And he was like, we're done. It's over. And like literally 4.6 minutes had gone by. So um, was there pain? No. Was it a little sore the next day once the anesthesia subsided and I had to put a little ice down there while I was watching the kickoff between the Redskins and the Cowboys? Sure. But um, it didn't hurt for more than a second. The, like, incision is unbelievably small. Uh, not that I want anyone to try and find it, but if I were to try and find the, like, scar from this surgery, I could not. It is that small. It is that now uh, distant memory, as it were. And guess what? Uh, Rachel and I don't have to uh, fumble around in a drawer or make sure that she's taking a pill or any of those things. Uh, we just get to have sex when we want to make out, and that is... Pretty rad because we like each other and we like to do it um, a lot. If you do this, the one thing I would say for the uh, women who are listening, if you currently are on birth control and then your husband gets a vasectomy, um, you do have to go back to the doctor and have them test to make sure that 100% it has ended the sperm that would have otherwise come through from still coming through before you're able to have sex without protection. Uh, But two, if you are a woman who has been on birth control and now the uh, ability to not take birth control exists because of a vasectomy, you just need to be conscientious of the possibility that the birth control was doing more than just keeping babies from coming to life inside of you. Sometimes birth control also has an impact on hormones. It can, I'm told, uh, have an impact on your breasts. Hello, I'm sorry for talking about your breasts. Uh, but it can, have other, it can have other side effects. Uh, it, more than anything, I am not an OBGYN. I don't even know what those letters stand for. But I would have a conversation with your lady doctor before you go off of birth control to understand what other things might happen to your body if you were to stop taking Pill. That is all on vasectomy, and thank God for that. Uh, it is an unbelievably not a big deal kind of procedure, and uh, truly is a great thing for our sex life. If you have not had one, or you're not having uh, a conversation about one because you're worried about it, get over yourself. Start having some great uh, unprotected sex. You know, like a good married couple ought to. If uh, if you're done having babies. All right, the third thing. Let's just get embarrassing for a few minutes, shall we? This truly, if you'd said, hey, Dave, do you ever imagine, imagine sitting uh, and having a conversation that you know people can listen to publicly about these things? The answer is no. Of course, I do not. But guess what? Uh, we're going to talk about it because maybe in me talking about it, it makes it easier for you as a couple to talk about it. So sexual dysfunction. Number one, if you are listening to this podcast, congratulations all of you have one thing in common. You have all, at one point or another, had something not work perfectly while you were trying to have sex. I, as a man, am happy to admit that I am just like you, that there, of course, was a time, there are times when I have premature ejaculation. I am sorry if my mother or grandmother ever listened to this. Holy cow. Uh, there are times certainly where erectile dysfunction shows up uh, as a part of just being a human. Um, And there are times certainly where I had hoped to satisfy Rachel in the act of sex and was just unable to for whatever reason. And so number one, like, if you are a person who's experienced one or all of these things, frankly, you've all experienced all of these things. Sorry, I'm just going to call you out. Um, it's normal. It is a normal thing. It doesn't make you abnormal to have had at one point or another this thing happen. It doesn't make me abnormal. And if you're the one person who it's never happened to, give it some time, brother. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. So the headline, I think, like overall is the more that you with your spouse can have a conversation that doesn't give these things more weight or find a solution that gets you to the happy ending that you're looking for without having to make a big deal about performance issues should be the way that you try and traverse any kind of sexual dysfunction. Yes, are there pills you can take? I, yes, there are. I've never tried one. I can't like tell you how they work or whether they're good or not good. But if you're struggling with something in this area, a lot of times it's an in-your-head kind of thing that if you're able to have an honest conversation about it, takes the power away from it. And if... You're a person who is struggling in one or all of these areas, but you're able to still please your partner by making sure that she's having an orgasm some other way. It is not going to matter as much to her that you're having this thing and her not caring as much about your struggle is going to change the way that your brain is processing it. And the difference in your brain processing it is going to make it go away. Oh, I mean, when Rachel and I have been in a situation where for whatever reason, my penis doesn't want to work like I want it to. I don't like saying that out loud, but there there are times either I can't get it up or I come too fast. Guess what? There are plenty of ways to make her have an orgasm. And I don't panic about it. I don't even give it a second thought. I pivot to plan B in like one move and immediately am able to make her happy. And by creating the happiness, usually find that the thing that was like frustrating during that sexual encounter is completely gone by the next one, just immediately taken off the table. So I know it's a little weird to talk about, but if you're. Options are wading into and having a conversation about dysfunction or not having sex. Wade into the conversation. There's nothing weird about you. You are super, super normal. And the thing that you are going through is shared with about 100 million men in America. Because that's how many I'm hoping are married and enjoying sex with their wives. Anyway, the bottom line is talk about it. Be okay to talk about it. And figure out a plan B if something happens so that you can have the happy ending that gets it out of your head and lets you move on to better, happier times. All right. The fourth thing in this scary, fear-oriented, holy cow, it's Halloween week, why are we talking about all these scary things episode, is this idea that it all as a man falls on our shoulders. Uh, One... I mean, like, I say it out loud and I don't even think it to be true, but I know there was this version of me at some point that I, where I was learning, like, masculinity 101 or what it means to be a man 101, and, like, it was just, like, wired into me that I was going to be this hunter-gatherer. I mean, I think it goes back to caveman times, to be totally, totally honest, that, like, we are a like species that was first created with brains that focused on survival and survival originally had caveman going out clubbing food bringing food back to cave and sharing it with uh you know family that needed that provision to live. Well guess what? It's 2018. So by the way, I like don't really know exactly what happened during caveman times. I just like to think that there's something from the history of how the brain was wired that informs the way that the brain works today at its most basic unconscious level. Um, let's, let's start with a topic that can sometimes be touchy, but I am experiencing in real time. Earning money. There is nothing written anywhere that says that men should earn more than women. The person who delivers the most value in the world should earn the most money. And I know that to be true and am now experiencing that in real time after having been the person who in our relationship was the primary earner for our family for like 15 years of our hanging out together. Rachel Hollis is making more money than me this year. That does not demasculate me for one second because Rachel Hollis is crushing it and deserves everything that she's doing because she's a hustler's hustler. And the way that she's worked on this book or the way that she's speaking on stages or the way that like her conferences sell, all of these things have come together in a way that, of course, she's deserving of making money. I think that there's still people out there that, if you're a man, feel like, in some way, if your wife is you know, in the workforce and finds herself more successful than you, that in some way it takes away from you being a good man. And that's just bullshit. I'm sorry. I'm just going to say it. It is. I don't know where it comes from, but I know that we get to choose whether we want to buy into the thing that is being sold to us by, you know, centuries of wiring or by the patriarchy or by gender roles or by your mother-in-law or whatever it might be. It just isn't relevant in 2018. It is irrelevant. And if you're a man and you find yourself in a relationship where your woman is earning more money than you, good for you, man. Like celebrate how she's killing it and stop worrying about whether people are thinking things about you for being with someone who's rad. Like, number one, they're not thinking about you. You know, I just left the Walt Disney Company. I was there for 17 years. I really was worried about what people were going to think of me leaving something that made so much sense to them for something that may not have made as much sense to them. And I was worried about what they thought, that kind of collective they. And here I am five months removed from having been at the company. I can tell you with 100 percent certainty they don't care. They are not paying attention to me. They are not interested in me. And whatever you like are assigning weight in like who might judge you for making less money than your spouse, your partner, let go of it. They're not judging you. They don't care about you. Sorry, I hate to like, hurt your ego. They care about themselves like all of us do. So there's nothing there. You got to celebrate and support and, and be proud of the fact that you are with someone who's delivering the kind of value that's recognized with you know, making, making more money. The other thing that like when it comes to this idea of it all depends on me that I think is interesting in the frame of like a man thinking about uh, a family is this idea or a question of whose job it is to raise these kids. One, I'm going to start by saying you and your spouse ought to be having a conversation about how each of you individually feel about this topic. It is not for me to tell you how to raise your kids, whose job it is to raise kids. I'm just going to tell you my story because I think there are some things that are, again, kind of pulled from generations past that are at the core of why some relationships are having strain. When it comes to our kids, I, Dave Hollis, am as responsible for their well-being as Rachel Hollis. 50-50. If they have a doctor's appointment, Jackson, as a for example, three weeks ago, he had to have an ingrown toenail taken care of. It was the most disgusting thing of all time. I took him for the first one. And then two weeks ago, he had to come back and have the second one taken care of. And Rachel took him. We divided and conquered because we are equally responsible for ingrown toenails on our humans, even if it makes us each want to throw up. Uh, when it comes to getting them to school or showing up for field trips or like signing them up for this club or being the parent that's in the audience for a baseball game. 50-50. We are equally responsible. Now, you may be someone who's in a relationship where the you know mother or father stays home with the children, which, by the way, hardest job in the entire universe. I salute and honor your heeding this call I don't have that. I couldn't do that. And I have a mad, mad respect for it. But just because you as the man or the woman who has decided that that is the calling that you have and you're going to stay home with the kids, that doesn't mean that that person is solely responsible for the children in the raising of them and the taking them to doctors and the making sure that their life works out regardless of you as the opposite partner making money that provides for the family. And I might get nasty notes about that, but dang it, I don't care because I'm just telling you my perception of how I feel. If you are in a relationship where there is not a 50-50 split in how the kids are being taken care of or who's responsible for raising them, at a minimum, for the sake of reaching for an exceptional relationship, I'd encourage you to have a conversation with your partner to make sure that you're aligned on what you each think your percent of responsibility ought to be for raising these kids. We we are crazy maniacal about planning our week at the beginning of a week so that we can dibby up who's going to handle which things with the kids. It's how we front load each other, Rachel and I, for where we're going to be intentional with our parenting. The decision that we make up front is what each of our weeks affords us in our split of how we're each going to show up. So as much as we might be 50-50 responsible, there are some weeks when Rachel travels where the 50-50 split swings more in my direction because I might be the one who's at home while she's on the road, and vice versa. There are plenty of times when I have to travel or I have meetings or I am doing things with the team that requires the split to swing in her direction. We start with an understanding that we're equally responsible for our humans, but that on a week-by-week basis, as the week dictates, the scale shifts to accommodate whatever is happening in life. The bottom line is, have the conversation. Make sure that you are aligned. If you're not aligned, then one of you, at a minimum, is carrying a bunch of resentment, and that resentment will lead to not making out as much, which maybe makes erectile dysfunction not a problem. That's terrible. I'm sorry I said that again. But anyway, if you want to have the very best relationship, alignment on this last point is an important one. There you go. Uh, A little bit of busting through some things that are a little scary that men, for the most part, don't usually want to talk about. Thought we'd have some fun with fear this week on the Rise Together podcast. If you like this episode, take a snapshot of the podcast, share it on your socials, tag me, Mr. Dave Hollis, on Instagram, tag my wife, Ms. Rachel Hollis, on Instagram, share it with your friends if you really like it. I hope. That you will subscribe to it on itunes and if you would even go a step further and rate it on itunes it helps with our ranking and the ranking helps get people to actually listen to this darn thing if you didn't like it don't tell anybody about it including me i just don't want to know that's it we will see you next week for another episode of the rise together podcast have an exceptional relationship we'll talk to you soon